Coming up. We all stumble, we make mistakes. You know, I think the best things we can teach other people in a leadership role sometimes is uh, not just how to win, but how to stumble gracefully. Today on In Session, Leading the Judiciary, we talk with author DJ Venice, a former U.S. Air Force officer and member of the Ottawa Tribe of Michigan, about his book, The Warrior Within, Own Your Power to Serve, Fight, Protect, and Heal. DJ explains that being a warrior leader is not about demonstrating steely-eyed individual toughness. Rather, it's about practicing aggressive self-care, openness, and collaboration so that you're emotionally, mentally, and physically prepared to serve and support your tribe. DJ has inspired thousands of public sector and Fortune 500 company leaders to find courage and lead with their inner warrior. He hosted the 2021 PBS television special, Discovering Your Warrior Spirit, and delivered the closing keynote at the FJC's National Leadership Conference for Circuit and Court Unit Executives in Oklahoma City in October 2022. Special thanks to today's guest host, Ken Gardner. Ken is clerk of the U.S. Bankruptcy Court in the District of Colorado. Ken, take it away. Hello, everyone. We are here with DJ Vanis, the author of The Warrior Within book and actually several other books. First of all, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much, Ken. Happy to be here. And uh, it's great to see you. As I told you, I saw you in Oklahoma City and uh, you were excellent and uh, inspired me to not only read the book, but to also do a podcast with you. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to do this. But let's, let's talk about the book. Let's get into the book and let's get into what, what you, why you wrote the book, what the book is all about. So let's start with kind of what I would phrase the, the personal journey, becoming a warrior and living like one. And you kind of open your book with a really good introduction about this and then several chapters that follow about what, the, what a warrior actually is. Is, but maybe more importantly, what a warrior is not. And so could you uh, elaborate on that, please? Whenever I talk about the warrior concept, I come from a tribal-centric viewpoint, uh, not the stereotypical Hollywood image that we see all too often. In the sweaty, chiseled figure who you know walks down the street, shoots bazookas and knocks down buildings. It doesn't require combat boots or a uniform. I did that for 14 years of my life. It goes back to is somebody who's willing to fight for something bigger than their own personal welfare somebody who is committed their lives to developing their talent and ability so they could become an asset or a benefit to the tribe that they served. And today, whether that tribe is your family, your, your team, your company, your, your community, we all have a tribe to serve. And that burning question that we should have on our minds you know, on this warrior path is what am I doing today to develop myself to be a deeper, more positive impact with those that I serve? It's something I get really excited about sharing because this archetype in our tribal communities is, is a beautiful, benevolent role, all dedicated to service. It's not about them. It's about who they're serving that really matters the most. You talk about how you can kind of get that warrior spirit in the book and what you need to do. And one of the things that, of course, stood out to me was that uh, one of the things you did was like a vision quest. It's several days. It can be very painful. And so my question to you about that is, must warriors seek ways to test their strength in order to grow, such as a vision quest? Or is confronting challenges or other things that happen in your life, is it enough to get that vision you're going to need in order to, to become a warrior? Well, the, the, it's a complicated question in the fact that those ceremonies were there for a reason. It was to kind of strip us down to the core of who we are, our essence, that, that spiritual strength that we all have. 
But the good news is we don't have to necessarily go through a ceremony to figure out that what that looks like for us or what it feels like. And we get opportunities to bring out our best versions of ourselves every day. The way that we go through trials, tribulations, the way that we confront fear, the way that we rise to the challenges in our personal and professional lives, all those things are, are testing moments. Those ceremonies were transformative for me. You don't have to go through that. There's plenty of opportunity to test ourselves and uh, develop ourselves through trial and tribulation. The challenges are what really makes you become a warrior, I think, is kind of what I got out of the book. There's a quote by uh, Mildred Whitstoven, who I, I'm terrible with quotes, but I remember this one. It, it left a mark on my soul. But she said, a clay pot sitting in the sun will always be a clay pot. It has to go through the white heat of a furnace to become porcelain. And so there's there's two ideas on that. Number one, the challenges that are already showing up in our life. The the tough stuff that we have to go through, the tough conversations, the big projects, the you know the the leadership roles that we have in, in our yeah, as a parent, as a team leader, embrace those things. You know that's the first thing is embrace them as an opportunity to say this is going to make me a better person. And number two, push ourselves to challenge you know that growth as well by picking up that next book, having that next conversation, going to that next training. You know, going into the gym and getting that next good hard workout or setting a goal for ourselves. We call our warriors Ogichida in my tribe. And it has nothing to do with what we see on TV and movies. Um, it is a servant leader uh, and it is somebody who has dedicated themselves to doing what they can to impact others. So it's important we keep developing. How does one find that balance uh, between strengthening self and serving others? And, and do you have an example of that? Yes, that is a fantastic question. Glad you asked it because we get in trouble with this so fast. I, I've worked, you know, I've done this work for, you know, two and a half decades. There's so many good hearted people out there trying to do good work, but they run themselves into the rocks and then they stand back until they can't do it anymore and look at the debris field left and say, how the heck did I get here? Self-care has got to come first. Our warriors traditionally they took really good care of themselves. They didn't abuse themselves. They didn't neglect themselves because they knew the stakes were high. The responsibility level was high. Yeah, you know, we're sometimes waiting for somebody to come over a hill and save us from ourselves to say, hey, hey, Ken, take a break. Take some time. Get, get enough rest. Um, you don't have to do it all today. But we wait and wait and those people never show up and we just go until we burn out. And so we've got to take care of ourselves first. It's, it's the best form of care we can provide others. And it's the best way to get the best version of ourselves on a daily basis. You talk a lot about values in the book. And I find that people get easily distracted from the most important things. Values are critical in navigating our journey forward. Absolutely critical. Because when you know what your values are, you've got a guidepost in any kind of weather and you know, through any storm that you go through in life you know what's most important to you. And I always recommend people know their top five or six. When you have the, your top five or six values, you have clarity. You know what to say yes to, and you know what to say no to. Do you find purpose first, or do you find values first? Which one should you define first? Or, or is there maybe a, a different way to approach that? I, I think they feed off of each other. I mean, I don't know what, you know, the chicken or the egg, I think they're, they're kind of growing at the same time. The critical point here is knowing what matters to us. In your book, you say something about you can have a lot of arrows and you can shoot them all over the place or you can be very focused about where you want to shoot them. And I kind of love that analogy that if you're just shooting them all over the place, you might hit something. 
But if you're targeted at something, you're, you have a lot better chance. At the end of the day, you can't do it all today. You can't do it all this week. You can't do everything this planet has to offer in a lifetime. You have to focus those arrows, you know, put them on targets that you choose or else it doesn't get done. The worst recipe you can concoct is to feel stuck or to feel ineffective. I'm a big believer. Do today's work today. Do tomorrow's work tomorrow. Don't start stacking things up. And the other thing I've found as the older I get, the, I realize this power of quiet, of reflection, of just letting the dirt settle, the better my days go. And the slower I move in pursuit of those things, the more effective I am. So it's kind of, it seems paradoxical, but we're all running so fast with our hair on fire. If we don't stop and actually figure out what's going on and what's most important, sometimes we never get to the answer. There's one other thing you talked about in the book that I, I really found amazing, and that was this question of the difference between surrendering and quitting. What I explain in the book is even traditionally, you know, our warriors who were the icons, where you have Chief Joseph, Crazy Horse, Sitting Bull, Pontiac. I mean, there, there's these great leaders, Osceola. They, it wasn't a matter of quitting. They would have gone till the bitter end. But the, the issue is they were facing the decimation of their people. Surrender is where we come to the end of our power, where what we're doing anymore isn't working. We're not getting results. And sometimes we're actually doing damage. There's a point where you have to get to a place where you just go, you know, you have to say, I need help. I need some outside resources, some outside expertise, some guidance to help me through this. And that's not quitting. It's finding another way forward. Let's talk about a little bit about a, the professional journey of inspiring others and organizations. As leaders, we're trying to instill the warrior spirit, if you will, into our employees, and they each have an ability and the opportunity, quite frankly, to do that on their own if we give them maybe the right roadmap or the right things to do. What would be the first thing you would do in an organization to start them on a warrior journey? Well, I, th I think the first thing is to get crystal clear on the purpose of doing the work that we do. When we get crystal clear on why we're here, why the work that we do matters, why it's important, and we remind ourselves about that every day, we're having ongoing conversations about this. It helps keep everybody on track and, and we strengthen each other in that pursuit. I also think it's critical to lead by example in everything that we do with our attitude, with our, our goals and directions, with our standards of behavior, expectations, that we are leading by example, not perfect example. We all stumble, we make mistakes. You know, I think the best things we can teach other people in a leadership role sometimes is uh, not just how to win, but how to stumble gracefully. I'm very adamant about, in the book, warriors never fought alone. Why? Because that's goofy. It doesn't work. You know, you're only ever gonna get so much done as one person lone wolfing it out there. Um, our warriors were very collaborative. They fought in the company of other warriors towards a goal, towards an end. After the pandemic, I'm wondering, how do I really instill this engagement and work back into my staff and, and kind of gain a warrior spirit doing that? You know, delivering great service on a daily basis is, has nothing to do with limited resources. You know, time, budget, personnel. I think the biggest threat to delivering great service every day is apathy. So when we get so burned out, so overwhelmed, so depleted that we just don't care as much anymore. We're just not fighting as hard. And the pandemic messed a lot of folks up. I mean, it was challenging for everybody. You know, I, I put myself squarely in that boat as well. 
it was it was a tough road because it was it was unique. It was unprecedented. Most of us had never lived through anything like this. And then the next thing you know, yeah, you're you're trying to fulfill your leadership responsibilities with a remote team. You're now the homeroom teacher for your kids, you know, in doing homeschool. I mean, it's like it just it became chaos. And so now that we're through that, getting people reengaged is, is really critically important. And the reason why is, is it goes back to the human nature and that that tribal kind of concept of a sense of belonging, a sense of actually being part of a team. But um, that's what good leaders do is they keep people engaged. Uh, they keep the conversation going and make sure that everybody knows that they have a, a role to play in the team. And I agree with you. This connectedness issue is is important. And it just speaks to our humanity. That's like our one of our most sacred endeavors as a human being is the connection we have to other human beings. And I was taught traditionally by my elders, we're a lot more like bees and ants than we are like eagles. You know, we need each other. We're better when we're with each other. And being isolated from each other cause a lot of issues for folks, depression, anxiety, you know, that feeling of just kind of being disconnected from the world. There is no substitute for the human to human interaction. That's the point I'm trying to make. And the more often we can do that, the better we feel, the more engaged we are. Uh, it affects our mental wellness, our stability. And motivation is simply a reason to do the stuff that we do. Celebrating the victories, this is something we don't do nearly enough. We won't pat each other on the back or have these you know, debriefs about what went really right. You know, Celebrating those, you know, the, the victories that we have is critically important to keep our motivation up, to keep our confidence level high, uh, to remind ourselves that we got this, we can do this. If we're not creating that on a daily basis, it has a tendency to just kind of melt away. You talk about how every warrior has <clears throat> a medicine bag. Yeah. And that they have these, if you will, tools or things in their medicine bag that help not only heal themselves, but perhaps heal people around them as well because of the things that they can bring out of that bag. Yeah. Medicine bags were carried traditionally by folks in our tribes. We either carried them or wore them around their neck. It was something that was was special to them and, and carried special sacred items, things that gave them strength, things that gave them courage, thing, actual literal medicines too, you know, herbs and things like that. But it was basically a, a bag that had their good stuff in it, that when they needed it, that moment of fear showed up, they had that bag with them to give them strength and protection. And we have that in our own lives too. And, it, and that bag is made up of all the stuff that makes us uniquely and powerfully us in the world that we live in. And it can be our work ethic, our attitude, our education, our experience, our, you know, our, uh, our values. And we can unpack that when we need it. The first thing is to identify what we have in there. You know, that's critically important. We are always good at focusing on what we don't have. But I'm a big believer in that strength-based approach is focus on what you've got. We, we kind of relegate ourselves to the corners of life. Instead of just saying, opening that medicine bag and saying, I've got great stuff in here, you know, and I've earned this stuff. That's the other important thing to remember is whether you were born with it or developed it out of just through sheer hard work and grit, either way, it's in there and it's yours to do with as you see fit. And what I really like about the, the concept of the, the medicine bag is, is it's very individualistic. It's you and it's what you have your life experiences, what you have gained, your knowledge, your skills, your natural talents and abilities, but being able to identify those things, not only for yourself for that self-care, 
but also so you can pull out the medicine bag and help others when that need arises. If you don't know what's in the bag, you don't know what to pull out. Exactly. Well, and here's, and this is a great point. One of the best things we can put in that medicine bag and we can store it for future use is the courage that we exercise on a daily basis. You know, those moments where we showed bravery, we showed grit, we, we exercised courage in a moment where we needed it. And the cool part about this is the next time we run into that scary, hard thing that we're going to face, we can look in that medicine bag and say with great confidence, I can do this. I've been here before. I know what it feels like. I know how to respond. It's great to be able to look in that medicine bag and base our courage on evidence that we have shown in the past where we can do this. We got to recognize what we can bring to the table before we can really give that to everybody else. This is a great point. It's a super cool point, too, because this is where we really become powerful in who we are as people. Here's the dynamic. We go through a hard thing and we kind of stumble through it. and We go, oh, my gosh, thank God I got through that. And we go off to the next thing. Right. And that's why I said, take a moment to reflect on that. Don't let that pass you by. We can get through stuff or we can grow through stuff. And we grow through things when we actually recognize what it took for us character wise to get through that moment. Once we store that away, we exercise it. And when we're exercising it in the future, we're influencing other people around us and inspiring them to do the same thing. There's something that I talked about in the book, and it was a term that a friend of mine that I interviewed, he's a, a wildlands firefighter uh, named Shane Coyne. He talked about a, a term he called borrowed courage. And this is about being scared to death, but being around other people who've been there and done that and kind of borrowing their courage until yours gets built up a little bit. And we can be the, those people for the people around us. If we are recognizing our strength and courage in those moments of bravery and then using them going forward, we inspire other people to do the same thing. In your introduction, you describe, uh, you know, keeping these principles that you talk about in the book in a broad kind of general sense and, and you're, you're very careful to say, because when I get very specific about things, I, I don't want to offend other tribes. Yeah. I don't want to offend other organizations, right? So how, how do we do that? How can we bring different tribes together around shared purpose while valuing our tribal differences um, and providing space for them to exist? Yeah, great question. I mean, that's, a, that's an ongoing challenge. And I, and I mentioned that in the book because... You know, when I when you get to especially working across Indian country, you know, I've worked with over 500 tribal nations, including my own. I, I think the important part is, you know, to focus on the commonalities, the things that you have in common, the common goals, common directions, but respect the differences. You know, know that we're going to be bringing different approaches, different backgrounds, experience bases, education levels, you know, into, you know, to the table. But as long as what's on the table is something that we all hold in common, we can navigate that. You know, we don't all have to be alike to get along. We just have to be able to respect the differences and not get all in a kerfuffle. I love saying that word. I just want to throw it in there at some point. <laughs> Even nature teaches us diversity within a biosphere is what makes it powerful. I, I can tell you from personal experience, that, you know, my time in the military with the teams that I led, some of the best stuff we ever created as a team came out of some of the most heated arguments we ever had. Innovation and creativity sometimes are messy, sometimes get a little, you know, scary, a little chaotic. But as long as we know, you know, to keep it professional, to stay respectful with each other, there's always going to be great things that we can come up with as a group, even if we don't agree on what that's going to look like when we start off the conversation. First of all, how can we open ourselves up to that? And then how can we make sure we're learning the right things from the examples of other warriors? 
Wow, that's a great one. Yeah, I mean, that's the key, staying open-minded. I mean, it is critical, you know, having that mindset to, to say that the way that you're doing it is a way to do it. It doesn't mean that the way that you're doing it is the best way to do it. You know, when we stay open-minded, we're willing to learn from other people, including younger people. I talk about circular mentorship in the book. You know, it's sometimes not just learning from our elders, but also learning from people younger than us that have crazy skills and abilities and insights. There's always ways to improve. There's always a better model out there. And if we are stay open to that learning, we, we tend to find it. I'll, I'll just put it this way. There's there's two ways to look at this. And it wasn't my quote, but I love this. We're either green and growing or ripe and rotting. And, and the best part of that is we get to choose which side of that fence we're on. Green and growing means we're constantly looking for that next idea to incorporate into our skill set. We're willing to have that next conversation, read that next book. It, it makes life and our careers not only so much more fun and so much richer, but it keeps things exciting. I mean, there's there, there's no better feeling than constantly being engaged in the pursuit of something better. It lets other people know, too, that we don't have to have all the answers. We just have to keep trying to find better ones. Let me throw this question out at you. Is it enough to model the warrior mindset and, and the warrior path, or should we be proactive about creating it in others and in our organization? Uh, yes. To both, <laughs> yeah. No, no to the first one, yes to the second. Um, <laughs> meaning that when we create that path for ourselves, we understand what that role and responsibility is, how we can bring it out in ourselves. Once we do that, then, of course, we can lead by example and influence and impact others to do the same thing. And it comes through those constant conversations. It comes through building culture. You know, the, the word culture comes from the Latin word. I think it's Latin, colere, which actually means to work the earth, to till the earth. So culture at the end of the day isn't what we believe it is important. It's what we do. And when we are exercising our agency and, and role modeling these examples to the best of our ability, it's not about putting ourselves on a pedestal, but it's about setting an example that's worthy of, of respect and is done consistently. It's going to inspire other people to do the same thing, too. That's how you build a culture. So we can, the Gandhi quote, be the change you want to see in the world. It's got to start somewhere. So I can't start with us. And hopefully it will. You talk in the book about change and about how, obviously, the one thing we can't ever get away from in our lives is change. You have these six stays that you talk about in the book. And can you share examples of individuals or organizations and bring out those the six stays? The first one is to stay calm. You know, that's the one thing about change. It, it freaks us out to our core because, man, we don't like it. We like to be comfortable. The scariest thing is fear of the unknown. Uh, which change necessarily brings into the fold. So we freak out a little bit. We panic. I mean, look at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, I think we're all probably deeply scarred right now, even having a fear of, do I have enough toilet paper? Like everybody, that's on everybody's mind now. And I tell a story in, in the book about Apollo 13. You know, we almost lost three astronauts halfway between the Earth and the moon. And we would have, if everybody lost their, their cool, they wouldn't be able to solve the problems that they did. And they put something together with cardboard, rubber tubing, and duct tape that were able to get these three astronauts home safely. It's a miracle of letting our brain do what it was designed to do, which is take in information, process it, and solve a problem. We do not do that when we're in panic mode. The second one is to stay grounded. Stay grounded. It's, you know, when we know what our values are, when we know what our purpose is, 
we have clarity even in the midst of a storm. You know, that's the first step in every traditional ceremony across Indian country. Before we step into a ceremonial circle, we had to get ourselves right. We had to cleanse, uh, purify, and, and we burn sage or sweet grass. And the reason why we do that is to kind of eliminate all that negativity, all those distractions, and get back to a place of groundedness so we can get the most out of that experience. And when we stay grounded in our values, we have a stable spot to stand on regardless of what's going on. Staying philosophical about change. This is this is one that I know can be a tough sell, but if you don't have a philosophy about change, I highly recommend you go out and get one because you're going to need it for the rest of your life. You know, and and I love our philosophy in our tribal communities about changes. Change was not part of life; it was life. It was integrated and interwoven into everything. There was no getting out of it. It you know, change was in the seasons, the cycle and circle of life integrated into everything. And the other one I, I've carried with me for almost 30 years now is one that I stole from Lenin. Uh, not the one from Russia, but the one from Liverpool. <laughs> He's a member of the Beatles who had a great quote. He said, there are no problems, only solutions. So when you can keep that mindset and stay philosophical about change, it's going to keep coming. So we can either fight it or embrace it. Stay focused, like we talked about earlier. Focus on the right things. You get the right result. Focus on everything. You you lose the ship. You know, it just, um, you can't get anything done when you're running a million different directions in panic mode. So especially during times of change, stay focused on what matters, what's important, what your goals are, where you're going, what it's going to look like when you get there. Keep that crystal clear in your mind. Stay flexible just because, you know, our goals may not change, but the way that we get there sometimes not only can change, but sometimes have to change. You know, think about how much we had to pivot repivot, pivot again in the work that we all did during the pandemic. Whatever our service was was focused on, we all had to make a lot of changes and staying flexible. We could either lament and complain and put a lot of time and energy into the things aren't what they used to be, which I heard a lot of those arguments, you know, in conversations. Or we can just take that same time and energy and say, okay, things have changed. What can I do with what I've got right now? And then the last one is staying connected. We need each other. I know we live in a society where individualism counts for everything, but I come from a society where our tribes came before the individual person because we knew we were better in that environment. With all this change that's going to happen, we also know there's going to be a setback, right? We also know that something's not going to go that great. I think what you call about is, is what do you do when the wolf comes? How do you overcome those setbacks? And then also, how about when the wolf comes to your door? Yeah, the, there's a great quote from the... Uh, ex-heavyweight champ of the world and part-time philosopher, Mike Tyson, who said, uh, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. You know, and, and I mean, how many times have we gone through that the last couple of years? You can have the best laid plans and, and there's always going to be challenges, but sometimes they get really big and really hard. You know, it comes from losing people that we love, going through an illness, going through a divorce, getting laid off. When that wolf comes, that's when I mean, we really feel stripped down to the bone. Self-care becomes critical in those moments. When you are feeling like you're hanging on by the end of your rope, that's probably not the best time to just try to out-hustle what's going on. That's a, that's a great time, and it's a hard time to just sit there and process what's actually happening. You know, there, there's a thing that, you know, we all know about post-traumatic stress disorder, but there's also a thing called post-traumatic growth. And Post-traumatic growth is where when we're stronger after going through a hellacious experience than we were before we went through it. 
because sometimes something terrible will happen to somebody and they will say, this is it. It's all over. Life will never be the same. I'm never going to get this back again. Same thing can happen to another person. And that person will say, you know what? I can find a way to get through this. I will grow through this. This isn't going to stop me. I can do hard things. I've done them in the past. And not only am I going to learn some valuable lessons about life and myself through this process, as bad as it is, but I'm going to learn things that I'll be able to help other people with too. I'll be able to share this story and maybe help somebody else in their life as well. That's powerful. And that's a decision we get to make. You talk a little bit about loss in the book and dealing with loss. I, I love just what you said now, and I really related to the book on this, which is why I wanted to share the story. So I, I lost my father when I was 21 years old. He died unexpectedly. Okay. And I, you know, it, it had come, quite frankly, after my mother had lost uh, six weeks before that in two-week increments. She lost her sister, her father, her mother, and then her husband. And you talk in the book about how you have to acknowledge the pain and face the wolf Otherwise, it will consume you. It's a quote from your book. And what I found for me when that happened to me, and I almost felt like a responsibility to not go down the poor me path, but to able to fortify my mom. And and the thing about it is I I made a choice then. I made a choice to say, I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to be challenged by this. I'm going to become a better person. But maybe more importantly, I'm going to make sure that my brother and my sister and my mom get through this point in time. And that was almost 40 years ago. And I carry that with me today when I get challenged by things. I carry the fact that things were bad. They were dark then. Mm-hmm. But I was able to climb into the light because of the choice I made, not even knowing it back then that I chose the light, quite frankly, has been a very powerful factor in my life. I've seen countless examples, you know, in the people I've interacted with through the decades, as well as my own personal experiences. We don't get to choose the circumstances we go through. For instance, going through a loss like that, an unexpected loss, we don't choose those circumstances, but we always get to choose who we are and how we are as we walk through any patch of our journey. That's in our, that's still in our power. That's our agency to exercise. It's difficult. We can cry our eyes out as we do it. We don't have to do it alone, but we always get to choose who we are and how we are in those moments because to not do it, like you said, we get consumed by the pain, by the grief, by the loss. If we don't stand and and face it as hard as it is, it's, it's, we are better for it when we do it that way. Then when we just try to compartmentalize, shove it in our backpack and carry on with a stiff upper lip. Well, let me just say uh, what a pleasure it was to read your book. Your book was fantastic. It, it inspired me. It re-inspired me. It refocused my ability, I hope, to become a better leader in my organization. And I hope that uh, by sharing your, you know, your individual thoughts and, and especially your expertise and experience over the past really 30 years from your military career to the people and, and, and your vision about how you can help and impact other people. I want to thank you for that because you've certainly inspired me and um, I think you inspire a lot of people by what you do. So thank you very much and thank you for participating today in, in our podcast. I sincerely appreciate it, Ken. And I'll just uh, finish by saying uh, thank you very much, my friend, uh, for having me on today. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ken, and thanks to our listeners. To hear more episodes of this podcast, visit the Executive Education page on fjc.dcn and click or tap Podcast. 
You can also search for and subscribe to this podcast on your mobile device. In Session, Leading the Judiciary is produced by Shelley Easter. Our program is supported by Angela Long, Anna Glashkova, and the entire studio and live production team. Thanks for listening. Until next time. This podcast was produced at U.S. taxpayer expense.